Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. I don't know if you knew this, but 2021 marks the 400th anniversary of Thanksgiving. I don't know why we haven't heard about this. They call it the Quarter Centenary Thanksgiving. Exactly 400 years ago this year, the pilgrims held the first Thanksgiving. But we're not hearing about it in media. I'm not. Maybe you are that it's the 400th anniversary. I think maybe that's because those who are on the progressive side of things would just as soon we forget about Thanksgiving because if you don't believe in God, then to whom are you thankful really? But that would be a tragic mistake for our country and it would be a terrible mistake for our church because Thanksgiving is such a vital part of our spiritual experience. And William Bradford knew that maybe better than most. So in, tw- in 1621, in probably November of that year, the first time they did it, we're not sure what month exactly, but the 50 remaining pilgrims gathered together with 90 Indians, and they held a feast to celebrate the harvest, but also to give thanks to God for His provision. And and they did it the next year, and then the third year in 1623, uh, William Bradford made it official, and he issued this decree to all ye pilgrims, as much as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forests to abound with game and sea, the sea with fish and clams. And inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of nine and twelve, on, in the daytime, on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623. In the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye, Plymouth, on ye pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. William Bradford, governor of, of Plymouth Colony, 1623. And I think William Bradford knew what we seem to have forgotten. There is something profound and important about giving thanks. And I think that's why when you read the Bible, you see this phrase repeated so many times. For example, 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. And then Psalm 105 repeats that exactly. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the, even the Father. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Then 1 Thessalonians 5.18, very succinct, in everything... Now, he doesn't say for everything, but in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And those are just five of the 109 times in the Bible we are directly called to give thanks. 
Now, if God is telling us time and again, repeatedly, give thanks, give thanks, be thankful, then surely there's a purpose for that. What is it? Well, I want to talk about this morning just briefly, and I think it dovetails so well, not only into the season we're in, but into the fact that we're going to do the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, that we reconsider the blessings of a thankful heart. And, and so let's start with a couple probably you never considered. Here's the first one. A thankful heart will make you wealthy. That, that makes you a little uneasy, doesn't it? Because, you know, we react to the prosperity gospel, the, the concept of seed faith giving. If I give God 10, he owes me 100, right? Well, it's not that kind of wealth that's generated. Listen to Proverbs 10, 22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Sometimes in the church, we can begin to believe even that wealth is somehow something we shouldn't have. Um, and yet in the New Testament, many of the disciples were wealthy. In the Old Testament, many of the great names of, of faith were wealthy people. And, and here's what I've come to believe. Wealth is a natural byproduct of a life of gratitude. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, But godliness actually is a means of great gain. Now here's the key. When accompanied by... What's the word? Contentment. When accompanied by contentment. And here's what I've come to believe. When you're truly thankful, you might never be rich, but you will be wealthy. Here's how it works. When I'm thankful, I'm content. And when I'm content, I'm satisfied. And when I'm satisfied, I don't need more. And that's the curse of this generation because there's always more than you can afford. And so we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't really need because at the core of it, it's not that we really need that thing, it's that we want that thing. And the reason we want that thing is because we've forgotten our blessings. We've forgotten how full we've already been filled by the presence and power of God in our life. And so we're always looking for something else to fill that void. And so consequently, I spend money I don't have to buy what I don't need. There is a secret here that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 12. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. In other words, I can be poor. I can be rich. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ. He said, I've learned the secret of being filled and going in need. And either one, I still find fulfillment in Christ. My mom knew this secret. You know, my mom was a school teacher, and she never made more than $35,000 in her entire life in any given year. She never made more than that. She had severe rheumatoid arthritis. She'd gone through all the treatment. And eventually she had to retire early with disability retirement. And it, those of you in the teacher system know that that's not always the best retirement. But she's retired early, never makes more than $35,000 a year. And when she died, her estate was valued at $260,000. Now, I know that's not a lot for some of you guys. But the truth of the matter is there are people who have won the lottery and gone bankrupt. In fact, a lot of them do. My mom, who never made more than $35,000 in any given year in her life, left her three sons 
$260,000. How do you do that? Try doing that on $35,000 a year. She used to make this statement, and it marked me. She said, it's not the one that makes the most. It's the one that needs the least who is most wealthy. And you know what? Thankfulness puts that focus where it has to be, and it takes it off of want, because want and need are like, are like these uh, indissolubly linked uh, passions, and I'm constantly in want, and I'm constantly needing this. And if you live your life chasing need, you will eventually live in want. But the person with real wealth is a person that's satisfied. And that satisfaction is directly tied to a grateful heart. And so in reality, a grateful heart generates wealth. It's exactly what the proverb says. You know, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and He adds no sorrow to it. Here's the second thing. A thankful heart will make you happy. You know, truth is bad stuff happens to everybody. And I'm not saying that we ignore or pretend that those bad things didn't happen. There are hurts and heartaches that are very real and very deep. Yesterday, I did a, a, a funeral for a, a tw- uh, the parents of a 29-year-old guy that had been killed in a car wreck, wreck in Colorado. 29 years old. How do you even process that? Where do you even go with that? This guy graduated in 2011 from high school. And mom and dad are having to deal with the consequence. That's a real hurt. I'm not saying that those things aren't real. I'm not saying they're not painful. But still, we can live our lives in such a way that we're not defined by our hurts. And we get to choose. Paul wrote the book of Philippians from prison. Did you know that? When he wrote the, the, the book of Philippians is, the, is a book that is marked by joy. In fact, if I was preaching a series on that book, it would be uh, how to find joy or how to, how to smile through heart. Paul's in prison, man. He's got every reason to be upset. He's the, he's the most prominent mouthpiece for the kingdom of heaven in his generation. He's got the hottest pen in the church. And here God takes this brilliant mind, and he locks him down in Roman prison under house arrest. But Paul never utters a single word of complaint. Instead, listen to what he says in Philippians 1.12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He said, he, they think they locked me up, but they locked my captors in. He starts to reach his captors with the gospel. That's the way he saw things. Paul's circumstances were negative, but his focus wasn't. And thankfulness does that. It takes your eyes off of the hurts. It takes your eyes off of what's missing and puts your eyes squarely on the blessings that God has already given. But here's the thing I want you to understand. You get to choose your focus. You choose how you see this life. Reminds me of one of my favorite stories Ronald Reagan used to like to tell. He said this dad had these twin sons. One of them was very pessimistic to the extreme. One of them was very optimistic to the extreme. The dad was worried about them, so he took them to a psychologist because he was worried that they were too extreme. And so the psychologist decided, first of all, to deal with the pessimist. So he takes this little boy, the pessimist, and he brings him into a room that's full of toys from floor to ceiling, just toys and toys. And that little boy looks in that room and he just starts to cry. And the psychologist looks at him and says, what's wrong, son? Don't you want to get in here and play with all these toys? He said, I know, but if I do, I'm going to break all of them. So he takes that little optimist to a room that's filled floor to ceiling with horse manure. 
Man, that little boy looks at that. He gets the biggest grin on his face. He turns around, looks at that psychologist, and he rushes into that pile of horse manure, and he just starts to dig. And the psychologist says, what are you doing? He said, are you kidding? This must manure. There must be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> that's, one, that's one of my favorites. Here's, here's the thing in life. You get to cry about the toys you're going to break, or you can start digging for a pony. That's what it comes down to. Abraham Lincoln said that most people are about as happy as they choose to be. Years ago, I picked up a book, and it was seminal in my understanding of life. The title of the book was Happiness is a Choice by Minerth and Meyer. And man, I mean, the title says it all. Happiness is a choice. You get to choose. It's your decision. You know, I talked to our, our, our crowd in the first service, and most of them are older. And I said, you know what I've noticed about older people is they often can become very negative. And people are like, why do people get negative when they get old? And I, and I said, they don't, because a lot of them become very, very positive, very forward-thinking, very progressive-minded. Here's what I think, and I really believe this. I don't think you get more negative as you grow older. I think whatever you are, you become more so. And so if you're fearful, you become more fearful. If you're bitter, you become more bitter. If you're joyful, you become more joyful. But all of those decisions we make set us up for that trajectory that we're going to be on. And so we have to make that choice. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good repute, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise, here it is, dwell on these things. How do you do that? Well, you have a grateful heart. I dwell on those things that I choose to dwell on and I see those things that God has done, and I refuse to ignore that. And I have a happier life. A thankful heart builds a stronger marriage. Nobody has a perfect mate, except maybe Amy Die. <laughs> but beyond that, <laughs> don't talk to her. I don't want a bunch of conversations with Amy. She, you know, she would just agree with me, so... <laughs> but as you get married and you stay married for a while, you begin to realize that your, your partner has some flaws. Maybe a few, maybe more than you thought. And it's easy to get focused on those flaws and forget why you love them and forget why you were grateful that God brought them into your life. And forget why you wanted to commit your life to that person because you forgot the blessing side of things and you just focused on the flaw side of things. And you know what happens? You become susceptible to an affair. You become susceptible to adultery because God, the enemy's going to bring somebody into your life that looks perfect, doesn't have all those flaws your partner has. And man, there's something about that that just draws your heart to that. Maybe you need to sit down and make a list or remind yourself of why you loved him or her. I mean, give thanks for what she is. That's a game changer. 
You know, the Proverbs talks about the adulterous woman, and I think it could just as easily talk about the adulterous man and how alluring and seductive she is. And it goes into great detail about, young man, don't be dragged away from her. But then at the end, he concludes it with this, and it's for the young man, but it could just as easily be for the woman. Proverbs 5.18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated with her love. I would say this, when you're thankful, you're satisfied, and when you're satisfied, you're faithful. So there's three strong reasons why we're blessed. The thankful heart is blessed. Wealth, joy, stronger marriage. Who doesn't want all that? But all that stuff's self-oriented. All that stuff appeals to your to you. And if I'm going to open the book and, I, and I'm going to teach from the book, I want to elevate and I want to call us away from the self-orientation, even when it comes to thankfulness. What does God want to do in your life? So let me offer this. A thankful heart strengthens your faith. I mean, I look back at the Jews and I read their stories in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, one guy said, the Jews are like everyone else, only more so. I mean, look at all the things that God did for them. Ten plagues of Egypt took them through the Red Sea on dry land with the Egyptian army chasing them. Pillar of fire at night, pillar of smoke during the day, manna in the wilderness, quail in the wilderness, water from a rock. He did all of these things to provide and care for them. And yet the minute Moses went up on Mount Sinai, what did they do? They made a golden calf and worshiped a false god. They kept forgetting even though God was always saying, remember, remember, remember. And then finally, if you read it in the book of Joshua, the nation is now set and ready to go into the promised land. They've been waiting all, some of these guys, they, they grew up in the wilderness. They'd waited their whole life for this. And, and if it's me and I'm following Moses as the pastor of First Baptist Jerusalem or whatever, uh, I'm worried about getting them across this river. And I'm thinking anything we can do to get them across the river is fine with me. Let's, build, let's have a bridge building committee. But God doesn't want them to build a bridge. He wants to show them who He is because just over a couple of hills, there's a city called Jericho with walls 20 feet thick and there's no committee in the world that's going to be able to figure that one out. So God tells Joshua, I want you to take the priests and take the Ark of the Covenant, and it's the flood season on the Jordan, and when they step on the edge of that water, the water's going to separate. You know, I'm I'm envisioning priests all up in their regalia, knee-deep in mud, but they did it that way. And the water separates, and the people go through, and now the people are delirious. I mean, they're in the promised land, man. They've heard stories about this their whole life. They're ready to rush headlong into the blessing. And God's like, no, stop. Wait. I want you guys to go back into that river, and I want you to get some big stones, and I want you to pile them up. And here's why. Joshua 4, verse 6. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become, and here it is, underline this, a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. 
In other words, when you look back and you inventory those things that God has done in your life, it prepares you for the stuff that you have to do now. And the victories from the past become the courage for the future. You see, I get courage when I give thanks. There's an old Christian song by a group called Dogwood. The lyrics went like this, and I love this song. It says, so I named them aloud one by one and let the enemy hear what my father has done and reassure everyone involved he can do it again. I know I can't live on yesterday, but they will serve to remind me and build my faith in the one that's been through it all before. I mean, how many times has God blessed you? And when you forget those blessings, you forget his power. And you live like everyone else. Bless the Lord, Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, because His benefits give me courage and give me faith. A thankful heart broadens your influence. 1 Corinthians 16, 8. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make His... I love this part. and It was repeated in Psalm 105. Make His deeds... Make known His deeds among the people. Listen, when you remember what Jesus did, you can't help but tell others what he's doing. There is nobody so infectious as a brand new believer. This past week, Jeff Fitzgerald called me. He's like, man, I am pumped. Of course, Fitzgerald's always pumped. Man, I am pumped. What are you pumped about? Man, I just led about 30-something kids to Jesus. I said, what? He said, I was down at Mangum talking to the football team and the softball team. He said, I had about 60 kids there, and they were all in the room. And I said, what would you say? And he said, man, I just walked through the plan of salvation, four spiritual laws. You know, God's got a plan for your life. Sin ruined it. Jesus died on the cross for you. You believe it, and you'll have eternal life, and he'll take care of you. He said, at the end of it, I said, look, if you want to receive Jesus right now, just stand up wherever you are. He said, nobody stood up. And he said, I know some of you are doubting. You're doubting whether God can really do it. You're doubting whether there really is even a God. You're doubting what's going to happen. He said, this one girl stood up, and she started confessing her sins right there in front of 60 other kids. In high school, never happens. And she said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this, and I'm sick of that. I'm sick of the way it makes me feel. What do I do? And he said, cry out to God. And this girl cried out to God and gave her heart fully to Jesus Christ. And she looked at Jeff, and she said, I don't know why I feel so different now. Jeff said, anybody else? 60 kids stood up. He's like, I didn't know what to do. There weren't enough of us to even work through it. So he said, look, if you just gave your heart to Jesus, text me. Here's my number. Text me this number. He said 32 kids texted him. He said some of them want to get baptized right then, so they called up the, they called up the youth guy down at Mangum, First Baptist Mangum. Hey, can we baptize? He's like, sure. You know, so they go to the church. He says it's going to be about two hours for the baptistry to heat up. They're like, forget that. They got a swimming pool, and they just baptized 16 kids right there on the spot. And I heard that story, it lit me up. I'm in this pastor's conference. I'm talking to a couple of pastors. I said, man, we had this happen. This guy was at this school, and uh, he's talking to these kids about Jesus. And you know what they said? One of them said, I don't think you ought to be doing that. Not in a school. I'm like, for real? For real? Seriously? No, I don't think. Why? Well, he didn't baptize them there. I mean, he took them somewhere else and at the church. And I, I don't know what we ought to do. And I'm thinking, how does a guy 
who's in this business, hear that story and not at any point use the word awesome. How does that happen? Because when you're aware of what God has done, you can't help but talk about what He's doing. Why did Jeff call me on the way home? Because he was so lit up by what Christ had done. Why am I telling those pastors? Because I'm excited to see Christ at work in young people's lives in this generation. Grateful people win people. It's when we forget about who Jesus is. We forget about what He's done in our life that we quit talking about it. And then a thankful heart deepens your commitment, deepens your 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. I mean, the good in me and the good I do is a response to what He's done. Here's the thing, okay, you ready? You're going to be tempted. And in temptation, you know what happens to God? He becomes unreal. It's at that point, Satan doesn't fill you with a hatred of God when you're tempted. He fills you with a forgetfulness. And in the moment of your temptation, God becomes unreal. You're going to get hurt. You know what happens when you get hurt? God becomes unfair. And if we forget who God is, and if I forget what He's done, then God will always be unreal and unfair. And I will always question what He's doing, and I won't have the faith to trust Him. I'll say things like this, how could He let this happen to me? To me, of all people. And people fall away and question His goodness so easily, it becomes frustrating. I mean, He's given us eternal life through Jesus. He's filled my life with purpose. He's filled our houses with good things. And when you pause to think, you'll have cause to thank. And you'll remember what He's done. We live in the greatest nation in the history of the world. I didn't do a thing to to earn the right to be an American. I was born here. Maybe you weren't born here, but you got here as fast as you could. There's a bumper sticker of that in Texas. I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as fast as I could because they realized the great state of Texas. Texas is nothing compared to America. We're born in America. We're, We're in the South, man. How fortunate do you get to be? We're not stacked up on top of each other. We live, you know what? My my grandson had a little spot on his head and they took him to the doctor and she cut it out and said, we better send it off. And they sent it off and it came back, uh, one of those uh uh-ohs. So we better do some more. So they got a deal and they went in and did surgery and cut out a bigger part of it and then came back and the margins are clear and they're like, don't worry about it anymore. It's gone. And I'm like, a hundred years ago, my grandson would have probably died from that, from that mole. We have the greatest health care in the world. Look at the life you, y'all, my truck has a heated steering wheel. <laughs> For real. I didn't even know it. I'm driving it around. I'm like, what's that little button? I pushed it. My steering wheel got warm. I'm like, are you kidding me? A heated steering wheel. Who thought? I live in a world with heated steering wheels. And y'all have got them too, and, and it's not even like a super high, it's not a Denali thing. It's Everybody's got a heated steering wheel now. I don't want my little hands to get warm, cold. You know, what in the world? I tell you right now, I've been to Ukraine, they ain't got any heated steering wheels. In fact, their steering wheels will barely turn the car. That's the way it is. And I've gotten to see God do miracles in my life and miracles in the lives of other people. And how could I ever think for a minute that God owes me one more thing? How could I ever be frustrated? You know, I'll talk to people. They've got an 85-year-old spouse who dies, and they'll say, 
I just can't believe God let this happen. I'm like, are you kidding me? None of us are going to live forever. I don't know that there's a dying male that's lived into his 80s. Of course, they abuse their body so bad, you know, they never make it that far. But you live 85 years and you're married 60 years and, and you question the goodness of God. You've been blessed. None of us are going to live forever. And let me say this right now. If God called me home tomorrow, don't anybody say, I can't believe God let that happen. Because my life's already been too good. And I don't need another thing. And when we look back and we remember His goodness, I mean, thankfulness deepens my love for the Father because it reminds me how much He loved me. And He didn't promise me another day. And so a thankful heart remembers who God is and what God has done, and that makes for a thankful life. No wonder the Bible said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Not for everything, but in everything. Some things are going to be too hard to give thanks for, but God's working in that, and in that you can be thankful. And it will change your life forever. So can I ask you something? How thankful are you? Got a demanding spirit or a great spirit? Maybe I should ask the people in your world. If somebody were to ask the people in your world, is he thankful? Is she thankful? Would they say, man, yes. And it shows up in every area of their life. If that's not true, then what are you going to do about it? God has blessed us. Be thankful. Stop making comparisons. Stop letting your eye wander and focus on the negative. Look at what he's done. Make a list and let it change your life. Would you do that? Because here's the thing. When you do that, you're going to make known his deeds among the nations. You can't help but talk about what God does when you know how good he is. So here's our commitment. You ready? Let's make it right now. Father, we commit to you to be thankful. We will take our eyes off of those things that make us miserable and whatever is good and holy and acceptable and right, we're going to let our minds dwell on those things. And we choose to be thankful. We choose joy. So we thank you. Help us to remember this every day, not just in this Thanksgiving season, but every day of our life so that we walk in faith and courage that comes with it so that we make your name great among the nations and so that we live a life of faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.